So what do you do right now? Well, right now, symptomatic management is the mainstay for current therapy for most adults. Uh, the use of steroids, uh, especially for patients with underlying uh, lung disease, so how you deal with COPD exacerbations uh, and bronchodilators, neither of those are approved by the FDA for RC infection older adults, but both of these are things that, that uh, we uh, do. Uh, humidified oxygen has been approved, um, and so sort of, sort of thinking about these things. And immunocompromised, uh, you might also consider giving ribavirin. It's something we mostly use in kids. And in kids, we use uh, monoclonal antibody. Uh, we haven't been using that in older adults. Uh, experimental therapies are available too. So an ounce of prevention is worth you know, a pound of cure. So uh, preventing RSV is a much better approach to a, uh, than acute treatment uh, because uh, there isn't any approved medication for acute treatment of older adults. And antivirals generals work better if somebody's already had a vaccine or something else ahead of time and uh, if they don't have to be hospitalized so you can attenuate the severity of the disease. So uh, take home lessons for from the COVID-19 pandemic is that older adults who contract a viral respiratory infection are particularly susceptible to poor health outcomes, including death. So if you do the general preventive measures like masking, distancing, and so forth, you can be effective in reducing viral spreads. People can find lifestyle changes to prevent infection uh, difficult to follow long-term. So you're seeing pushback on our constraints, asking people to wear masks uh, when they go shopping and so forth. And that's a hard thing to follow through. So a solution to this would be to have a vaccine that can uh, keep them from getting sick in the first place and hopefully prevent the spread of infection. And if they still get infection, infected, reduce the severity of infection like we get with SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. So frequent hand hygiene, masking, and when you mask, we talk about double masking being more effective than single masks, especially if they're homemade. Hook and loop, but where you can twist the loops if you're using ear loops and making sure they fit pro properly. Uh, a clue about proper fit is if, if they don't fog your glasses or your glasses on. St keeping them home when they're sick, avoid those who are sick, uh, keeping high touch surfaces clean and disinfected. So these are all practices that we do in nursing homes already. And then isolating infected patients in healthcare settings. Here is a image of uh, the virus uh, as it was uh, uh, shown by uh, Domkowski. And um, what you're supposed to see here on the top left is uh, this blowout of the surface of the RSV virus. So what you see here are these fusion proteins and vaccine targets. Most of them are targeting this fusion protein. They also, some of them have targeted the G protein, which is an attachment protein. The fusion protein's function is to, when, when the virus infects a cell, it allows it to, that cell to fuse with the next cell over and propagate the, uh, uh, the infection across cells without having to necessarily leave the cells. Uh, but it also buds off to then go infect other cells. This is a negative sense uh, RNA virus, uh, much like SARS-CoV-2. It gets into the cell and you can target antivirals uh, for this step where, where the RNA needs to start making copies of itself. Uh, the RNA itself uses the uh, um, uh, ribosomes already in cells to then make, uh, turn, make out the proteins. So these various proteins that are produced uh, by this, including the fusion protein and the G protein, uh, become uh, antiviral targets and also vaccine targets. Most of the vaccines have actually targeted the fusion protein. And uh, there's uh, uh, two versions of this fusion protein, uh, a pre-fusion protein and a post-fusion uh, protein. And it, uh, from the data that I've seen, it looks like those targeting pre-fusion proteins might in fact uh, have 
better function. So in this slide, you can see a bunch of different vaccines that are in different stages of development. You can see a few here in, in phase three. Uh, some of these are specifically targeting older adults. Uh, so here you can see the F protein. Uh, here's one for G protein, F protein, F protein, and so forth. Um, and then like for the recombinant vaccines for SARS-CoV-2 um, and uh, the adenovirus vectors um, are being used for this too. Uh, and again, they're for older adults. There's one from Moderna for mRNA, uh, adenovirus vectored uh, from Janssen and Bavarian Nordic, and then from Pfizer and GSK. You can see some in phase three trials here targeting F-protein. So rearranged in a slightly different way. Uh, you can see here what the target is of these different vaccines. Uh, some of them use a single target, like this one, RS, just the fusion protein. And some others have other things uh, mixed in, like an adjuvant uh, or other proteins that are part of the virus. Uh, in general, uh, the data from these uh, vaccines, where there's data available, look like they're pretty well tolerated, and it looks like they develop um, a neutralizing antibody, which should be able to prevent disease. And we'll have to wait for the phase three data to know uh, whether they're in fact effective. So uh, when you try to recommend a vaccine, whether it's a flu vaccine or SARS-CoV-2 vaccine or a pneumococcal vaccine, uh, regardless of uh, the patient's disposition on taking a vaccine, um, their, their likelihood of accepting a vaccine begins with uh, the clinician making a strong recommendation um, and this should be not, um, you know, I think this would be a good day for you to get your vaccine. Uh, instead, you frame it, uh, today, you, uh, today we're going to get you your uh, influenza vaccine or your SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. And um, when I do this, uh, uh, I try to present it that uh, this isn't just an opinion uh, or a good idea. This is, this is part of their care. This is part of what good care looks like. Um, yes, they can uh, refuse it. They can refuse anything that you suggest. But I think if you don't go in it with sort of the expectation that they're going to be uh, accepting the vaccine, you're going to find people declining vaccine that you could have gotten to yes and gotten that added protection. So it's true for all of the licensed vaccines uh, that you should have a strong recommendation. When you go through the discussion with them and, and talk about this, you know, you, you do want to educate. So as you're making, I'm going to have you get this vaccine. And, and you have signs in the lobby to say uh, flu vaccine available and so forth. Uh, you put it in the examination rooms, uh, risks and benefits. Uh, so, you know, if, if I were doing this for a SARS vaccine, uh, the risk of having an uncontrolled SARS uh, infection relative to the risk of getting a SARS-CoV-2 vaccine is a fraction of the risk with a vaccine where you have a controlled immune response than a natural infection where you have no control. It's just whatever the, the body happens to do. Um, and asking if there are concerns. Uh, so um, if there's barriers, I don't stop exploring the barriers. And I, I need to ask them, you know, so I'm going to say you're going to get the vaccine. Do you have any questions? Um, I can tell you more about it. Uh, but often they're itching to you know, get out of there if they have a ride with them and so forth. So uh, if, they're, if they have some hesitancy or some issues with acceptance, I'll work my way through this list of things. You know, so if these vaccines are free, like the SARS vaccine is, the influenza vaccine is covered by uh, health insurance and so forth. Uh, there might be incentives that you can use. Um, uh, you make it as a standard part of your visit, so it's an expectation. Uh, you can work collaborative, 
collaboratively with the pharmacists in the community. Uh, if you, if your pharmacist uh, doesn't communicate with you that they're giving vaccines to your patients, then there's still some work to do so that you can get uh, quality credits for that. Involve your office staff. So the way it works in our office is that expectation you're gonna get your vaccine today starts with a check-in nurse. And, um, uh, and if there's any pushback, uh, they say, well, if, you know, if, if you're reluctant, you're gonna have to talk with a doctor about this or whoever your uh, clinician provider is. So it's like going to the principal's office. And I think that helps uh, reduce the number of discussions that actually make it to me and allow me to, to stay on time for my visits. Um, uh, you can enlist a local champion. So when we've done our campaigns for the SARS-CoV-2 this past year, we've identified local champions for the nursing homes and nursing home staff that could be uh, add to our voices uh, as part of what we do. And I think the SARS-CoV-2 discussions are more complicated because there's a question about whether this is part of civic duty as opposed to just taking care of yourself. Um, and that gets a more complicated discussion about you know, mandates and so forth, which we won't entertain today.